0: Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Hey listeners, this is Nick from Scripture Central, and today's podcast addresses the question, why does Paul quote from an early Christian hymn? Both the Bible and the Book of Mormon contain important witnesses to the divinity of our Savior Jesus Christ. Both are ancient witnesses of the pre-mortal, mortal, and post-mortal ministry of Jesus, and each teach about His divine role in unique ways. Very memorable is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6-11, through 11, where Paul appears to be quoting or paraphrasing from what might have been a very early Christian hymn, that succinctly summarized Jesus' entire being and ministry, beginning with his premortal life and ending with his heavenly glorification. This beautiful hymn can be set forth in Greek as having two verses of two lines each, with a third verse comprised of a seven-part chiasm. But more significantly, each of the three main points raised in this hymn, the Savior's premortal divinity, his willingness to die on our behalf, and his exaltation following his resurrection, can also be found represented and reinforced in the Book of Mormon and other Restoration scriptures. This hymn begins with an opening couplet that can be rendered as Christ Jesus, who, though being in the likeness of God, did not take advantage of being equal to God. Through this opening statement, we learn that Jesus was in the presence of God and was like him in the premortal life. Despite his high station, he did not seek for any benefit of his own. In saying that Jesus was in the likeness or form of God, this hymn uses a word meaning outward appearance or shape, thus implying that Jesus and the Father looked similar to one another. However, while this word could be used to denote physical appearance, it was also used by Paul to denote the status or role of Jesus later as a servant while in mortality. Because of this, Frank Judd states that when Paul taught that the Savior was in the form of God and equal with God in the premortal existence, he was teaching that both God the Father and Christ the Son were divine beings, shared a semblance of status and attributes as well as appearance. Jesus' status as a divine being is strongly reinforced in modern scripture. For example, in the book of Moses, we learn that Jesus was in the premortal council in heaven before the world began. While Satan sought to grasp and take advantage of the Father's glory, Jesus did not. Instead, he humbly offered, Father, thy will be done, and the glory be thine forever. Because of Jesus' willingness and desire to obey the Father, even when he was still in a pre-mortal state, he was called to be the Savior of the world. However, Jesus was still different from Heavenly Father in one major aspect. Heavenly Father had a body, and Jesus did not. Because of this, Thomas Wayman noted that unless some action were to be taken, Christ cannot be fully equal to God, it is a prize that he cannot fully achieve. The remedy for this discrepancy between the Father and the Son would ultimately be Jesus' birth and mortality, coupled by his righteous living. As the Savior of the world, Jesus would be born as a mortal so that he could lay down his life and take it again. This is expressed in Philippians when the hymn next states, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus would center his mortal ministry on loving and serving everyone, while inviting each of us to repent of our sins and become like him. As a part of his role as a servant, the prophet Nephi beheld multitudes of people who were sick, and who were afflicted with all manner of diseases, and with devils and unclean spirits. And they were healed by the power of the Lamb of God, and the devils and the unclean spirits were cast out. The Book of Mormon likewise affirms that, despite Jesus' good works, he would be crucified for the sins of the world. Nephi, for instance, saw the crucifixion of the Savior in his vision, and Abinadi taught that Jesus would be crucified according to a prophecy of Isaiah. Even as others mocked or persecuted him, Jesus suffereth himself to be mocked and scourged and cast out and disowned by his people. Having suffered death on the cross, as the confessional hymn continues, God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of beings in heaven and beings on earth and beings under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Having returned to the presence of the Father, Jesus Christ was exalted or raised to the glory of God the Father, thus being like Him. The distinction between Christ's mortal and resurrected status is made clear when one reads both the New Testament and the Book of Mormon. Just as Peter taught that God exalted Christ to become a prince and savior, The Father introduced the Nephites to his Son by declaring, That I have glorified my name in him. Jesus then tells the Nephites and Lamanites in his audience there that he wanted that they should be perfect, even as I or your Father who is in heaven is perfect, he having become perfectly like the Father. Finally, Jesus is given a new name whereby all will recognize him, bowing down to him with their tongues, confessing him as their redeeming Lord with words here drawing on Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 and 23. The blessing of a new name is promised to all who keep their covenants with Christ. As such, all will be able to become more like Him and become exalted as He is. This significant early Christian hymn, somewhat like our modern-day hymn, Jesus Once of Humble Birth, described the condescension of Jesus in clear terms, covering His premortal willingness his mortal condescension and suffering, and his post-mortal adoration, all illustrating that his ministry was an act of pure love. Indeed, when asked if Nephi knew what the condescension of God meant, he simply answered that he knew not, but that he was confident that this all means that he loveth his children, at which point the vision of the ministry and love of the Savior opened to him. As Byron R. Merrill has noted, the word condescension implies voluntary dissent, submission, and performing acts which strict justice does not require. Christ's selfless sacrifice merits profound gratitude and endearing love from all who are recipients of His supernal offering. Because of His humble condescension, Jesus was exalted by the Father above all others, was given a name which is above every name, and entered into the glory of the Father. Even more miraculously, Jesus Christ has opened these same blessings to everyone who follows Him and seeks to obey His commandments, so that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. Thank you for listening to this presentation from Scripture Central. For more information, please visit ScriptureCentral.org.